King of heaven, Jesus, home to every heart. We are lost without your glory. We are lost without you, God. Be the fire that burns within us, flames of love that purify. Send your power and your salvation. Let us see your kingdom come.
Everybody had a great Thanksgiving, enjoyed really good food and time with your family. I'm excited to worship with you this morning. Let's just set our gaze on the Lord and, and remain in that place of giving thanks. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. 
we stand this morning, let's all remember about God's presence in our lives. Remember, we're truly singing for him. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. He won't fail me now. He's in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Who yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. I will bless your name Oh yes, I will sing for joy When my heart is heavy in all my days Oh yes, I will oh. Let's sing it again Will not fail me now. You won't fail me now. He's in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Who yet I will lift you high in the lowest valley. going through sorrow and pain 
is still faithful to our hearts, is still faithful to care for us. He doesn't leave us wanting.
still stands great is your faithfulness your faithfulness i'm still in your hands this is my
favorite moments of the entire year is the moment, is the opportunity, is the blessing where I get to announce that we're going to crown every single one of you as the king or the queen of the prom. You are the king, you are the queen, you are a masterpiece. We love you so much. We love you guys. My name is Kim Underhill. My husband, Doug, and I are the coordinators of Night to Shine 2022 here at Essex Alliance. As you can tell from the video, last year's virtual event was a little different from years past. But what wasn't different was the excitement and smiles on the faces of the guests who attended. COVID can cancel a lot of things, but it cannot cancel celebrating God's love and people's worth and value. So once again, on February 11th, 2022, we will celebrate and honor our guests along with their parents and caregivers. This year, we have added a special drive-through event that will take place at our Essex campus prior to the online viewing of the virtual Night to Shine. So volunteers, we need you. We need hundreds of you. We want to line our parking lots with a cheer squad as our guests arrive and drive down the red carpet. We have plenty of other volunteer needs prior to the evening as well, including gift box assembly, card writing, and decorations. Find out how you can be a part of this exciting event by visiting the Night to Shine volunteer registration page on Church Center. Won't you consider joining us in spreading God's love? We promise you will leave receiving more than you gave. Night to Shine is just one of the many places where you can serve here at Essex Alliance. Every week, we have countless volunteers that are involved in a variety of different roles, from holding babies in the nursery on Sunday mornings to running video cameras and tech equipment. But there's more to us than just Sunday mornings. If you haven't lately, take a few minutes to look through our website, scroll through our groups and events listed on Church Center. Ask God where He wants to use you. Look for the Volunteer Opportunities Registration and if you can't find something that interests you there, email Rachel Seavers at rachel at essexalliance.org and she will help find the right fit for you. Maybe one simple way you can get started is by contributing to our monthly food collection happening next Sunday. A list of requested items is out on Church Center. We will be collecting at both campuses during the morning service times. If you're here for the first time, or our regular, we are so glad you have joined us today. If you are new and joining us in person, 
please be sure to stop by the information desk in the lobby. We'd love to answer any questions you may have and help you get connected. If you're joining us online for the first time, let us know in the chat box. Thanks again for being here with us today. Now here's who you've all been waiting for, Pastor Scott. <laughs> okay, I, I didn't see that beforehand. I didn't know that beforehand. But I'm going to work with them. That's a great intro. I got to get them. That's going to be a weekly thing. Hey, good morning, everyone. A couple of things for you right as we begin. For those of you who are here in person, whether here at Essex or North Avenue campus, you know that we're going to be sharing in communion just a few minutes. Hopefully, you got your cup when you came in. Uh, we do have gluten-free um, cups as well if you didn't get one of those. So if you want, need a gluten-free, if you head back towards those doors sometime next couple of minutes, one of the ushers will help you with that. But for those who are watching at home, you would not be aware of the fact uh, that we're going to be sharing in communion to hearing it right now. So for those watching at home and watching online, you have a couple minutes here uh, to run to the kitchen and get some bread and some juice. And if you're thinking, oh, I don't have bread or juice in the house, uh, crackers and water work or milk. Um, if you're really in a pinch, pancakes and syrup, I guess, can also, can also work. As you'll learn here this morning in just a few minutes, it's not about what the elements are. It's about the meaning behind them and how we apply those. So for those who are watching at home, you can get ready if you want to have communion with us and go and uh, get ready for that. Just real quickly, a couple of things. My thanks to you as a church body. Uh, if you haven't heard, well over 16, I think 1,650 uh, boxes uh, for Operation Christmas Child that you contributed, number one. Number two, uh, we're about $12,000 worth of gift cards that were ordered ordered this past week, $12,000. Uh, they'll be in $50 gift cards. We'll be going into multiple schools to hand those out. Uh, church, well done. So job well done. As you just heard for Night to Shine, another opportunity coming up in February where you can be a part of something. Uh, I watched the video and I always think to myself, you know, how, how fun it would be to be doing drive through Night to Shine in Florida. Um, <clears throat> Uh, but so you know, um, we're going to need volunteers. You're going to have to dress warm because uh, we've gone through snowstorms. We've gone through five below. And uh, you know what? It doesn't affect the, 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 the kids and families that are participating. and won't affect us either. So jump in there. But my thanks to the church, for you as the church being the church and to being engaged. So my thanks to you this morning. This morning, in just a few moments, as I said, we are going to be sharing in communion together. Let me read for you as we begin uh, the text from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and then I want to talk about it and, and help us with, because oftentimes when we have communion, uh, people, people oftentimes think, you know, okay, we're going to have communion, but what do I do? Meaning, how do I prepare? What do I think about? And I want to help you with that and give you some things to be thinking about, not just today, but whenever we have communion, whenever you participate in a communion service, give you some thoughts to be thinking about and how to prepare. So our text is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, as I was a kid growing up, there were two specific events 
that had happened in history that when I was young, we were clearly told to remember. Uh, two specific, specific events that as a kid growing up, they were on the forefront and everyone would pause and stop on these two specific days specifically to remember. Now, one of those days was e very easy for me to remember for it fell on my birthday, June the 6th. And of course, that date that we were called to remember was actually took place on June the 6th, 1944, which is known now as D-Day, but was known in history as the largest sea-based sea invasion in history. Allied troops in World War II, Allied troops which stormed the beaches of Normandy, leading the, to the beginning of the end of World War II, but not without great loss. If you know a little bit of history, you know on that day alone, over 4,400 soldiers were killed and 10,000 plus were wounded just in one day. I've had the sobering privilege of visiting the beaches of Normandy and the uh, American cemetery, military cemetery that overlooks those beaches. And as we had traveled the beaches and the different sites along the way, I'll never forget just one small sign, and yet it screamed at you when you looked at it, and all it said was, remember. It's all said. No great history. There was all sorts of history signs and, and uh, flyers to read, but this was just a simple sign that said, remember. Another day that we are often called to remember as a kid is has an anniversary coming up on December the 7th. So we're just a few days away from that one. And of course, it too had to do with World War II because on December 7th, something took place in 1941. And of course, what took place that day, it was a sunrise on a beautiful Sunday morning when 350 Japanese warplanes attacked Pearl Harbor. And of course, the devastation was huge. On that day, eight battleships, 10 smaller ships were all uh, sunk uh, and put or, or put out of commission. And many of you I know have been, perhaps been there yourself to visit and uh, 200 American warplanes were destroyed. But more importantly, 3,581 soldiers were killed or wounded that day. You know the story of the USS Arizona took a bomb in its weakest place, right down the smokestack. And of course, that took the bomb right to the belly of the ship, and when it exploded, the oil tanks exploded, the munitions uh, um, uh, magazine exploded, and the entire ship sank in just eight minutes. And to this day, 1,102 sailors are still entombed in that ship. You might recall that day as President Roosevelt began the speech to the nation with these famous words, yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date that will live in infamy. And the rally cry that was given to American soldiers and to American families who were offering up their children to go to war was a very simple one, and it was this, remember Pearl Harbor. Now, of course, since that time, we've had other events that have taken place. Of course, part of World War II was, of course, the Holocaust. I've had the privilege of visiting Yad Vashem, which is the uh, Holocaust Memorial and Museum in Jerusalem. Sobering place. There's a word there painted on a sign that says, what is it you think? Remember. And of course, through our history, we have other events. You can visit the 9-11 Memorial Site in New York City and take the tour, which I've done, and you will hear them say to you, remember, don't ever forget.
You see, Jesus, when he shares the Passover meal with his disciples on the night that he would be arrested, he told them a very key statement, and that was to remember. And of course, if he told them to remember, it means he's telling us to remember. Um, And I'd like for us to reflect this morning on the story of the Lord's Supper with his disciples and how he calls us to remember. And I want to help you know what to remember. I want to give you some specific things to call to your memory whenever you share in communion. Now, the Lord's Supper or communion as we know it, as we call it, you'll remember is taken from the Jewish Passover meal. A meal that would be shared and observed in Jewish families for thousands of years. But the Lord's Supper is more than a meal. You see, when it was first instituted, they were enjoying the meal together. But at that moment, when Jesus instituted it for us and for his disciples, he took it above the level of a meal and said this, it's to be a memorial. Whenever you share in this meal, you're to remember And we are not to simply eat the bread or drink the juice, but more importantly, it's all about remembering as you participate in it. Now, on the night that Jesus would be arrested and betrayed by those who were closest to him, they were gathered together to eat this Passover meal together. They'd been with Jesus for three years of ministry. Um, Presumably, perhaps, they shared the Passover meal. And then he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. In fact, the verses I read for you earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, on two different places he says those key words, I want you to remember me. Now the word remembrance that's used there is not simply a word as we would apply it as to remember or simply to recall something. It was not like being in the grocery store when he says, remember the list your wife gave you when you went, as opposed to calling her and having to say, I don't remember what you said, and she said, I told you eight times. It's not that kind of remember. It's not simply to recall it, but actually the word here means to make something visual and to make it real. The idea of do this in remembrance of me actually means to bring the memory to life by you remembering it. When I think about it, I relive it. It's to retell the story. Let me give you an illustration or two. Don't you have in your family two or three stories, family stories that have been in the family for years, and even if you're a younger family, you still have a story or you're building the story that when you tell the story, everyone knows the story. Everyone knows it, everyone smiles, everyone remembers it, and for a moment when you tell the story, it's like everyone relives it. We've got two in our family. Two stories specifically. I'll give you the one. The one was the year that we gave surprise our son Adam. He was a junior in high school, going to, be, going to be a junior in high school. And we surprised him by giving him a dog. All of our kids wanted a dog. They never got a dog. One day my wife says, you know, Adam's going to be going to college. He's our last one. Maybe when he leaves, we should get a dog. <clears throat> I said, this, this boy has asked for a dog for years. We get him a dog the day he leaves. He'll never come home again. I mean, he'll, he'll disown us. Let's get him the dog. She said, yeah, let's do that. So before Christmas, we, she, we were shopping. She called me one day. I was in a meeting and said, I found it. I think I found the dog. Meet me at the pet shop. I met her there. She had chosen the dog. That was the, this was the one. 
Didn't have a name yet, of course, but we bought her just a few weeks before Christmas. We picked her up the week before. We had her stowed away at our daughter's house. They, had, they, they were locked in secrecy to keep the dog. Christmas Eve came when they snuck the puppy into our house, up to our room, where we kept her quiet until Christmas morning. We put her in, to, uh, we gathered together. I snuck up and put her into a big oversized stocking and brought her down and said, hey, we're going to do it different this year. Instead of opening gifts like normal, we're going to open stockings first. We'll start with the youngest and he'll go first. And Adam had no idea until Kodiak popped her head out of the stocking. And when we remember the story and when we tell it and we look at that face, every one of us smiles and goes, oh, that was the best Christmas ever. We have a second story, but it's not quite as fun for everyone because usually that story begins with one of my three sons starting like this. Hey, remember that time dad tripped like three times in a row in five minutes on this concrete walk? Remember how bloody his shins were and bruised? Remember how we laughed and someone else said, yeah, or the time he tripped or the time he tripped. See, that's not quite as fun for everyone. But everyone else smiles and laughs, and now I just stand by and bear it while they go through their moment of remembering the story or two. Now, you get it. The first thing that I want you to remember is that Jesus says, remember me. And when he says that, do this in remembrance of me, it's a starting place where he would say to us, I just want you to pause and just remember me. And remember me with that fondness that you might remember that family story where it brings a smile. Remember me, he says. And just remember me for who I am and start there. First thing, just remember Jesus. Let me give you the second thing that I want you to remember when we come to communion. And that is take time to remember the great gifts given to us by a loving God. Remember the gifts that have been given to you by a loving God. And to help us remember these gifts given to us, Jesus gave to us two very basic symbols. Two basic symbols that specifically in that day represented the essentials of life. And of course, those are bread and wine. Two very, very essential things in the life of a Middle Eastern person at that time. For without either one of those things, they didn't live. We have bread, and it's changed so much differently from today. In that day, bread was critical and crucial, and today it's not. I mean, because today we've got gluten-free, we can't have gluten, or we're low carbs, or we're no carbs. And so for many of us, bread's not even on our diet. Man, if it weren't on your diet in the Middle East at that time, you didn't live long. And wine. Wine was critical because, of course, at that time, water was in short supply. And oftentimes, they didn't have drinkable water. So they depended on a good supply of wine that they would make every year because it would keep and hold and they would have something to drink. That's not us today. Today, wine is a, is a social drink. Every grocery store has thousands and thousands and thousands of bottles to choose from. And I, I go by and I read them that says, a nutty flavor with a hint of fruit. And you're looking at that, you're looking at 10,000 bottles, and somebody is gonna, has the audacity to try to say, this one bottle has a nutty flavor with a hint of fruit. You've got to be kidding me. But that's where we live today, very different from that culture in that day. Now, there were, of course, essential elements of life, and these were it. But I want you to see them in a different way. 
See them not just as bread or wine. See them not just as, well, this is very critical, the bread representing the body of Christ, which was broken for us. We know that. The, the wine representing the blood of Christ that was shed for us. We got that. But for a moment, I would even ask you to see beyond those and see them as mementos given to us by a loving God. The gifts that he has given to us. Now, don't worry. The word memento does not cheapen them. What does the word memento mean? It means an object that is kept to remember someone or something special that's happened in someone's life. A memento is just simply something that is kept, which is meant to, to remind us of a person or an event or something that is meaningful to us. Diane and I, through the years, have had the privilege of being able to travel and to go to different countries and conferences and speak. And whenever we've gone to different places, it's always been our goal to take some memento, something, some small thing home that would remind us of that place. And not necessarily buy things, just something. I have in my office, I have at home a little bottle that has water and sand from the beach of Normandy. Probably one of my most prized things that I have. I have the same little bottle of water and sand from the Jordan River and from the Sea of Galilee. You know, something, some memento to trigger our memory. But one of my most cherished things that I have was not something that I bought, was not something that I collected, but was something that was given to me. Some 34 years ago, we were pastoring in Detroit, Michigan, and I announced to the church that we were leaving to come to Essex Junction. I sat down with one of my best friends in the church. His nickname was Big John, and Big John was nicknamed that because he was big. And he was our sound man. He was our sound guy. And he never missed a Sunday. He would never take a vacation over a Sunday because, man, I got to be there to run the sound. And I would say, yeah, we can find someone. No, no, I'm there to run the sound. And Big John never had two nickels to rub together. They were not wealthy in any way, shape, or form. And yet every Sunday morning, Big John stopped at Hardy's and brought breakfast. And every Sunday morning at about 7 o'clock, Big John would bring breakfast. And he and I would sit in my office. And we'd have breakfast every single Sunday morning. And the day that I sat down and said, John, I'm leaving, he was crushed. Now, as we were getting ready to leave, they threw a party and they had a scrapbook and all sorts of cards and notes. I was anxious to see what John would do and he was not in the book. He was not in the official scrapbook. John gave to me one of his most cherished possessions, his old faithful hunting knife. Now, you need to know that he bought this knife as a young boy and he had kept it all these years. In fact, a little notch on it for every deer he'd gotten for all these years in Northern Michigan. And uh, this was his, I mean, he's talked about that knife. I'd seen it. It came in a leather sheath, was chewed off the corner. One of the dogs chewed it off. And he walked in that day, our last Sunday, and he handed it to me. And he said, I just don't want you to open the note until I'm not here. And so I opened the note, and it said this, To my friend Scott, I've always kept this blade sharp, and it has never let me down. God's word will keep you sharp and will never let you down. Whenever you hold my knife, think of me and think of him, your friend John. We were here for about a year and a half to two years, and I got the word that big John went home to be with Jesus. Every time I hold that knife, I think of him, and I think of him. 
because it's a memento. It's meant to collect our attention. And this is how the Lord wants us to remember him when we see the gifts that he has given. When I hold the bread and when I hold the cup, I'm to remember these incredible gifts that a loving father has given to us. He's forgiven me. He's redeemed me. He gives me hope. He takes my fear. He cleanses my past. He gives me a future. All gifts from a loving God. Let me give you the third thing that I'd like for us to remember when we take communion. And the third thing would be this. Remember Jesus' selfless act that saved your life. Remember the selfless act of Jesus that actually saved your life. It is tragically sad, a tragically sad day, I should say, when a follower of Jesus loses the wonder of what it is to be redeemed. I have been called in, as I've shared with you before, in our district, I have been called in, and even in our national church level, to go to different churches at times when there's problems in the church, when there's a battle in the church, when there's a warring factions in the church. And I have to tell you, it is tragically sad when you walk into a group of believers and you realize they have lost the amazement of being redeemed. I would suggest to you that you cannot hold on to the amazement of being redeemed and be at war with another believer. You cannot be bitter at another believer. You cannot be angry at another believer. You cannot cause friction in the church and still be amazed at being redeemed. It's a tragically sad day when a believer loses the amazement of being redeemed. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a Christian author and theologian, also a respected medical doctor who left the medical profession to be a pastor. He was a minister of Westminster Chapel in London for almost 30 years, and he once was asked to define a Christian, and he defined a Christian as this. A Christian is a person who is amazed at the fact that he is forgiven, and he never takes it for granted. A Christian is simply someone who stands always amazed at the fact that they have been forgiven. One of the reasons that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper was to give us opportunity to be reminded and to always be amazed that I am forgiven. I've said this through the years. You may remember it as I've said that I know one day when I walk into eternity, three things are going to amaze me. I'm going to be amazed at the people I see there who I didn't expect to see there. I'm going to be amazed to see the people who aren't there that I thought for sure would be there. And I'm going to be amazed that I'm there. I pray, friends, that you carry the amazement of being redeemed from this day, that you th the day you said yes to Jesus, to the very day that you stand in his presence. May you be amazed at being redeemed. Rich Mullins was a contemporary Christian music artist, died, uh, died young through, in a car accident. We actually hosted him here for a concert many years ago. And one of his, probably his most famous songs, some of you might know, was the song Awesome God. And uh, he also wrote, uh, was, was very uh, theological and insightful, wrote different comments and quotes. And one of the things he said is this, never forget what Jesus did for you. 
Never take lightly what it cost him. And then he wrote this, and never assume that if it cost him his very life, that it won't also cost you yours. Profound. When Jesus gave to us the Lord's Supper, it was in part him saying to us, never forget what was done for you. Never take it for granted. Never lose the amazement of being redeemed. He says to us, the bread, the wafer, is to remind you that my body was broken for you. Broken to satisfy our hunger for redemption, for peace, and for forgiveness. The cup is to satisfy your thirst for life, your thirst for new beginnings. It represents his blood spilled to make us clean and to give us a new day. Remember his selfless act that saved your life. And let me give you the fourth thing that I would call you to remember. Remember this great invitation. Let me explain it, and let's go back to the meal that they were sharing in the upper room. You see, sharing a meal with a group of friends was as common a practice then as it is today, maybe even more common, if you will. Um, because I'm finding today more and more we're less apt to be doing gatherings together in home settings as they were because that was just the nature and there weren't restaurants to go to anyway. So that was the nature of them gathering. Very common. And groups of people, friends and family, sharing this yearly Passover meal was as common and as looked forward to as the Thanksgiving meals that we just happened to be a part of this past week. Now, the entire Passover meal was a call for people to remember. If you know something about the Seder, which is the, the, the actual name given to the Passover meal, you know that from beginning to end, everything about it is remembering the history of the Passover, remembering the history of when God liberated the Jews out of Egypt. Remember the God that saved them. When God caused the angel of death to pass over their houses. When God led them out of slavery. Everything about it said, remember. But at one point in the meal, Jesus departed from the typical Passover script. He did something and he said something that would have been very odd. Now, during the Passover meal called the Seder, there were four times when everyone would be asked or invited to drink from the cup of wine. Four times, and each time had meeting. Each time, sorry, something specific would be said, a very specific prayer or blessing would be said, and Jesus comes to the time to drink the third cup of wine, which is called the cup of redemption, and the disciples would expect to hear a very specific Passover prayer. In fact, those same words are still used today in countless Jewish homes that will celebrate Passover. They would have expected to hear words like this. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, for giving us the fruit of the vine. And remember, the fruit of the vine meant life in the Middle East. Now we believe that Jesus still would have said those same words, but on top of that, he added something else 
that I want to draw your attention to, which is what we focus on today. I'll go back to Luke chapter 22, verse 20. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. That would have been a departure from everything that they would have said previous. He would have still said the blessing about the cup of the wine and thanking God for it. But then this was added to it. And this would have gotten their attention. Why? Let me give you some background. Something I was just reading. And so I haven't been able to fully vet this to be true. But I think it's very intriguing. Common in this culture at that time, and even well before this time, was something that took place in the process of a young couple getting married. It would go something like this. When a young Jewish boy reached the age of marrying, uh, his family would begin the process of trying to find a wife for him. And the beginning would be to go find other families that also have a, a daughter that was at the age of marrying. And they would begin to work at striking a deal in these arranged marriages. And so they would begin to, to negotiate. Now, the negotiation was the bride, the bride was not cheap. Uh, that there was a price to be paid. There was called the bride price. And so they would begin to see who, it, who had a daughter that was available and then would begin to negotiate a bride price. This would be figuratively the price of replacing a daughter. Now, I would say to you, the price was typically very high. I get that because I know my daughters. Now, it's not, no, don't, 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 don't read into that, which it's hard to not read in anything I say without some hook to it. I get that. I'm not saying they're costly to have. Well, they are. Um, what I'm saying is they were precious to me. And at the thought of giving one away, if you will, to someone to be married to, it's going to be a high price because they are cherished me, to me. And they were precious to me. And so to give one of my daughters to some schlep in marriage, some loser... You know, no offense to my son-in-laws, but it is what it is. Let's just call it right out right up front. It was a huge deal. And people would often think, now catch this, people would often think that this young woman didn't have a choice, but she did. And here would come the moment when this choice was given to her. When the negotiations were complete, everyone was agreed upon, the custom was that the young man's father would bring out some wine, some typically good wine, and he'd pour a cup and he would hand it to his son. The son would then take the cup and hold it out to his bride-to-be, this young woman, and as he would do that, he would say these words, listen carefully. This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which I offer to you. Does that sound familiar? This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which I offer to you. Translated, I love you. I give my life to you. Will you marry me? Will you accept me? Now the woman has two choices. She could take the cup and say no, and then hand the cup right back to him. And that was what she was to do. If she was going to reject, she would actually take the cup and say, no, I will not share in this cup and hand it back to him. Or if she were to accept, she would simply take the cup and without saying a word, she would take a drink. And that would be her acceptance of the invita invitation. I accept. I will marry you. And I give my life to you. 
Now, admittedly, there may be other meanings to the statement and they, that's, that are possible, but the one in common everyday language is the picture that makes most sense to me is this picture of a bride and the groom. I love you, and I give my life for you. Will you accept the invitation? I accept. I love you, and I give my life to you. Now, it's hard to know what the disciples may have thought at that moment. Maybe some completely missed it. They were talking, maybe talking amongst themselves. Maybe some smiled. Maybe one leaned over and said, did he just propose to us? What was that? I'm thinking that they probably did not understand the meaning of what he had said to some time later. I think for most of them, they just wondered, well, wonder what, the, what does that mean? So here we are, and we're going to share in communion. And as we share in communion, would you remember Jesus', Jesus final words when he first says, just remember me. And then would you remember the gifts that have been given to you by a very loving God when you hold that bread in that cup? And would you remember the selfless act that saved your life? And would you remember the great invitation when he says, will you accept? I'll ask the team to come out. They're going to play a little music while we share in communion, and then uh, they'll actually end us. But uh, as they prepare, let me uh, challenge you for a moment. You can get your kind of cup in hand and be ready. But here's the first thing. Don't open it yet. It's not hard. I'll walk you through it just in case you've forgotten. But a couple of things. In the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about, I have a question. We've been talking about people who have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ and all the reasons why. We have this checklist of reasons and this checklist of questions. I need this answer and this answer and this answer. And you'll recall one of the things we've talked about all along is that getting a checklist answer is not going to change anything for you. What's going to make a difference is when you understand the very personal nature of the relationship that Jesus Christ had, wants to have with you. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, maybe today would be your day. And I would even challenge you, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have any. You don't have to ever have everything figured out. In fact, you can in blind faith say, you know what, Lord? I don't even get all this. But if what he's talking about is true, that Jesus, you gave your life for me, I'm just going to follow you. I give my life to you. Take my sin. Forgive it. Make me clean. And I will follow you. If you've never done that, I'm going to pause and pray in just a moment. Here's your moment to say, I accept the invitation. I will follow you. Those of you who are followers of Jesus, remember. Remember him with a smile on your face. Remember what he has done for you. Remember what he has given you. Be amazed at the fact that you are redeemed. And take that amazement right into the throne room of heaven when you stand before God. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord Jesus, for the person here this morning, whether in person, whether watching online, who's never given their life to you, might this be their moment. Would you give them that willingness and that courage just to simply say, I don't have all the answers, but I will follow you, Jesus. I will trust you. 
And then, Holy Spirit, you do your work. For that person, might they simply offer the simplest of prayers, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I need you to forgive my sin. I give my life to you. Forgive me. Make me clean. And I will follow you. Oh, Lord Jesus, that people would make that decision, the greatest decision of their life. And for each of us who are already followers of you, we simply say thank you. We have a debt that we cannot pay. And we stand amazed at your love and grace to so graciously buy our freedom in our life. As we'll share in communion, I pray that you will bless the wafer, bless the, bless the bread, and bless the cup as we share in them together. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll take your cup, and there's a little piece of cellophane tab on the top, if you just pull that first, and that will expose to you and give you access to this little wafer. Take this little wafer. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat this bread, remember me sharing the bread together. If you'll take that next tab and just break it, break it back and peel carefully and slowly, it'll expose the juice. And it is juice. It's not wine. So all are free to participate. He took the cup as well. This is the new covenant in my blood, which I offer to you. Let's share it together. Lead us if you would.
Father, we give you thanks. Thank you for the gift of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, as we leave this place, might we leave here renewed, recharged, and encouraged. May we leave here amazed that you have redeemed us. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Those who are here in person as you're leaving, if you wouldn't mind taking your little cup with you, there's little trash cans at the door. If you'd help our ushers get ready for the next service, that'd be great. Blessings on you. Have a great day.
was gonna follow you. Thank you for doing that. I was like.
Sorrow comes to steal the joy I 